Well, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 45 through 52 this morning. Let me read this for us. Immediately he, that is Jesus, made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word now, we ask that, Lord, you would give us clarity We ask that we would behold Christ, see his wonder in this passage as he comes to his disciples walking on the sea. Accomplish your purposes this morning, Lord. You have promised that your word will not return void. And so we trust that promise and we believe that your will will be done here this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when we looked at the story of Jesus calming the storm several weeks ago when he was in the boat and he was sleeping, I had made mention how the early church, through their art, depicted the church through the image of a boat going through the storms of life. The early church saw these specific stories of the the disciples on the water as as a small portrait of the church going through the adversities of life and Jesus getting them to the other side. It's interesting that the ancient church described the sanctuary, the place where the Christians would gather for worship as the nave. The word nave comes from the Latin word ship. See, the church throughout history has viewed itself as this little ship riding the storms of life, hoping that Jesus will be with them and will get them to the other side. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want to encourage you to keep that image of this church, this little ship, the disciples on this boat as a small little church, keep that image in the back of your mind. So Jesus has just fed the the 5,000 with the loaves and the two fish. And here we're we're told in verse 45, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Now you might not see this in the English, but there's an urgency here. When Mark says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat, that word made is a very strong expression. It it indicates urgency, 
and pressure. Now, we're not told by Mark why there was this urgency and pressure. But in John chapter 6, which is also the retelling of the five, lo- five loaves and the two fish, we get possibly a clue. In John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000, and, and we're told that the people who were fed were eager to make him king in light of this miracle that he did. And so we read in John 6, 14 to 15, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So the people were were eager to make Jesus king by force. And so Jesus, in urgency, he commands his disciples to get into the boat and to depart without him. He departs, of course, to the mountains. So the disciples, they obey Jesus' command. This is not a suggestion on on Jesus' part. He's not saying, hey, if you'd like to get in the boat. No, he's saying, get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. And they got in the boat and they departed to Bethsaida. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus intentionally has them depart without him. Not only that, but he knows what's going to develop very soon on the waters. He knows that they're going to come into conflict with strong opposing winds. And yet, he commands them, nevertheless, to get into the boat which of course is going to prepare the way for the miracle of him walking on the water. But what I also want you to see is this. This, I think, is the main point of Jesus putting them in the boat. Jesus will often place you in the boat of testing. He will often place you in the boat of testing. The disciples are unaware of what their obedience to Jesus' command will lead to. But Jesus is fully aware... And yet he commands that they get into this boat regardless. See, brothers and sisters, Jesus will sometimes place you or he will command you as an individual or he will command his church to get into the boat of testing. The disciples are going to be tested on this journey across the water. Their obedience is going to lead to trouble and difficulty. So Jesus sends them off. He dismisses the crowd. And then in verse 46, we're told he went up on the mountain to pray. He gets away from the noise of the crowd to be alone with his father, and he prays. As one who shares our humanity, he participates in prayer as a human, praying to his heavenly father. And what does he pray about? Well, we're not totally sure, but I have no doubt that he spends time expressing his delight in his father, his need for the father. But I also think that he's probably interceding on behalf of his disciples. See, he sends them out into the boat of testing, and then he ascends the mountain to pray. They're battling the opposing winds while on the, while on the water, and, and Jesus is on the mountain praying on their behalf. See, this, I think, is actually an incredible picture of Jesus and his relationship to his church. 
This little moment captures the spiritual truth that Christ is interceding on behalf of his church. See, the church struggles. We struggle through the storms of this world, but we can be assured that its Savior, our Savior, is praying and interceding for us. We probably don't reflect on this enough, but there's, there's incredible comfort knowing that Jesus, as our human Savior, prays for us. Remember Jesus' words to Peter in Luke 22 to 31, 31 to 32, where, where Jesus actually tells Peter that you're going to deny me three times? But before he says that, he says this to Peter Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, that is, when you have denied me, but then you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. What is it that kept Peter's faith from completely failing? He denied Christ, but his faith was not completely done away with. He was restored. What is it that kept him from falling away like Judas? Well, this passage tells us, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed for Peter, and the reason why Peter turned after he denied the Lord, the reason why he came back to the Lord, is because his Lord had prayed for him. And Jesus' prayers don't fail in the life of his children. The prayers of a righteous man are effective. How about a perfect man? You see, even though Jesus will allow his church to experience the boat of testing, he is praying for us as we face those opposing winds. Right now, in your trials, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. But Jesus' care for his disciples doesn't merely end in prayer. In the midst of testing, in the midst of struggle, Jesus will come to us and not abandon us in that boat of testing. Look at verses 47 through to 51. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. So evening has come along. The boat was out on the sea, and Jesus was alone on the land. And we're told that, that Jesus saw his disciples from the land. And what did he see? Well, they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They were making very little progress. They're, they're struggling against the wind and the waves. Now, this isn't to make light of the situation, but there's nothing worse than a horrible headwind. I love to bike, and... 
It's amazing when you get a nice tailwind as you're riding, but, but there's nothing worse than, than having the tailwind at the beginning of your ride and the horrible headwind on your way back. Facing a headwind on a bike is physically exhausting, but it's also mentally exhausting. And the disciples in this boat were experiencing far worse than what any person has experienced on a bike. You see, they're wanting to reach the other side, but strong winds are preventing them. They're rowing as hard as they can. You can imagine how tight their arms would have been, how exhausted their bodies would have been. You can imagine the the blisters on their hands. You see, it's possible that they were fighting this wind for close to eight to nine hours. How do I know that? Well, in verse 47, we're told that when evening came, the boat was on the sea and Jesus was able to see them. So this would have been before the sun fully went down. But Jesus, we're told, doesn't go to them until the fourth watch of the night, which would have been approximately 3 a.m. So they're fighting this headwind for hours. They're physically exhausted. They're mentally exhausted. They're drained of all their strength. There's nothing left in them. And remember, Jesus is the one who sent them out into that wind. They listened and obeyed Jesus' command to go, and this is the circumstance that they're given. You see, brothers and sisters, obedience doesn't guarantee a smooth sail at sea. Obedience will often lead to difficulty. Obedience doesn't guarantee ease. In fact, Jesus' call to obedience might demand that you enter the eye of the storm. You think of the story of Joseph in Genesis. What did Joseph's obedience to God cost him? Well, he was imprisoned in an Egyptian prison because he refused to sleep with Potiphar's wife because he said to her, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against my God? His obedience cost him. See, sometimes obedience will be painful. But remember this. Jesus might send you into the eye of the storm, but he will never, he will never abandon you there. He will come to you. Just as we're told here that at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. You see, Jesus will often show up when you have no more strength to go on when you're at your last wit's end, when you've emptied yourself of all strength, that is often when divine intervention will show up in the life of a believer or in the life of a church. See, Jesus sees sees their situation. He comes to them, and he comes to them in this miraculous way by walking on the sea. Do you see this picture? The disciples are in this boat being tossed to and fro by the wind and the waves, whereas Jesus walks upon the waves. He walks over the storms of our lives. Now in verse 48, there's some confusion regarding this phrase where it says, he meant to pass by them. It seems that Mark's indicating that that Jesus was actually going to pass by them and, and not actually come to them 
And it wasn't until they cried out that, that he then turned to them. But I think the context demonstrates that, that the clause is best understood not as a statement of what Jesus of what is in Jesus' mind, but how his approach appeared at first to the disciples. It seemed that he was going to pass by them from their perspective as he easily walked upon the water. Luke 24 to 28 uses similar language to convey a similar idea. Remember, Jesus is walking with those two disciples on the Emmaus Road about after uh, resurrecting from the dead, and this is what we this is what we read. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. You see, the disciples possibly perceived that this mysterious figure that was walking on the water seemed to be making his way past the boat. But verse 49 tells us that, that they saw him. And when they saw him, they cried out because they thought it was a ghost. Which if you think about it, I would say that's a logical conclusion from a human perspective. Humans don't float. Humans can't walk on water. And not only that, the Jews were, were naturally scared of the water because they saw it as the place of darkness and chaos. And so before their eyes, they, they see this mysterious figure walking on the water and they were left utterly terrified. Not only are they dealing with strong winds, but they now think that there are spiritual forces in their midst and they're overcome with fear. And how does Jesus respond? Well, we're told in verse 50 that he immediately spoke to them. He speaks to them to calm their fear and, and to give them clarity. He gives two exhortations and he reveals to them that it's him. He says, take heart. That's, that's the first exhortation. Take heart, disciples. Don't be afraid, disciples. It is I. They needed to be exhorted, but they also needed to hear the sound of his voice. See, hearing his voice would have brought clarity to them. This isn't a ghost. It's Jesus. We, we know this voice. You see, they needed to hear his voice they, because we know my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The sheep of Jesus know the voice of Jesus. And in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, so often what we need more than anything else is to simply hear the voice of our Savior, to hear his exhortations, to hear him say, it is I, to hear him say, do not be afraid, take heart. His known presence is precisely what we need in moments of fear and confusion. It's in these moments where he so often comes to us, he calls us to take courage to not be afraid and, and reminds us it's Him that is present with us. 
He hasn't abandoned us to the difficult winds of life. He will come to us in our desperation. And notice in verse 51 that he doesn't just speak to them. He doesn't just walk toward them. But he gets in the boat with them. And when he gets in the boat with them, the wind immediately ceases. What a picture. Jesus hasn't abandoned them in the boat of testing. He hasn't abandoned them to the difficult winds. He comes and he gets in the boat with them. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has not abandoned his church. He is in the midst of us. He is tolerating and putting up with us because he is a God full of love and compassion and mercy. No matter the lack of progress that they've made against the winds in that leaky boat, Jesus will be with them and he won't abandon them. He will control the winds and he will get them to the other side. He will accomplish his purpose for his church. He won't abandon his church. No matter how much the church struggles against the wind, he will not abandon us, his people. He is with his church, and he will calm the raging winds and the sea. But here's what we also need to see. This whole event, this whole story, wasn't simply for Jesus to remind his disciples that he was with them. And that he could do the miraculous by walking on water. No, no. This event was also a means by which Jesus would confront them and expose their unbelief. How do the the disciples respond to this moment? Well, they respond in in, in one sense similarly to how Jesus calmed the storm when, when he was asleep in the boat. As it states at the end of verse 50, and they were utterly astounded. They were shocked. But their astonishment isn't a result of praise and worship. Rather, it's an indictment against them. Look at verse 52. So at the end of verse 51, it says, and they were utterly astounded. And here's why. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Mark takes it back to the miracle of the loaves. Interesting. They didn't understand the miracle of the loaves because their hearts were hardened. What a statement. Isn't that incredible? I mean, they saw Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish. They handed out the loaves and the fish. Yet they didn't see it. They saw it, yet they didn't see it. They didn't understand what that all meant. Because their hearts were still hardened. And Jesus allows all of this to go down with this storm and this wind to expose their hearts, to confront their unbelief. You see, brothers and sisters, hardness of heart prevents understanding. This is why not a single miracle, there's not a single miracle that can change the human heart. Yes, miracles testify to Jesus' identity, 
but they don't actually have any power to change the heart of a hardened sinner. There is only one miracle that can do that. And that's the miracle of the new birth, which only the Holy Spirit can give to the hardened sinner. But here's what I love about this passage. Despite their hardness of heart, Jesus isn't done with them. You see, Jesus, over and over again with the disciples, could have been like, you know what? You guys aren't getting it. I'm going to find another twelve. He doesn't do that. Despite their hardness of heart, despite their inability to understand all the things that Jesus says and does, he continues to come to them to reveal to them who he is because he's committed to his disciples. And brothers and sisters, he is committed to his church. He's committed to come to us in the midst of our hardness of hearts and to give us understanding. See, how many times have we, the church, been like the disciples, hardened to the things that Jesus is saying and doing in the midst of our lives? And thankfully, he doesn't abandon us to our unbelief, but he confronts our unbelief, often through the boat of testing. You know, some of us are are like the disciples, some of us who maybe not be professing in Christ, not really truly following Him, we're like the disciples. We're paddling as hard as we can, hoping to get to the other side in our own strength. When what we need to do is get our eyes on Jesus, the one who walks over the water and gets into the boat and calms the wind. He alone is the captain who can get us to the other side. See, this way of thinking is so contrary to our modern secular way of thinking. Each of us have been told over and over again that that the solution to our problems as humans is to look within and to look to one another. Chris uh, Kumo on CNN, I believe that's his last name, he's a news anchor, Last week, he was addressing all that was going on in the States in regards to COVID-19 and and also the the racial tension in America and and the rioting. and, And he said these words, if you believe in one another and if you do the right thing for yourself and for your community, things will get better in this country. Then he said this. You don't need help from above. It's within us. You don't need help from above. It's within us. All of America's problems can be solved from within us. All of Canada's problems can be solved from within us. We don't need to look above. That is the spirit of our age. And that was the disciples in this story, paddling as hard as they can, trying to get to the other side in their own strength. The solution is within us. No, 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 no. The gospel tells us the opposite. It tells us that the solution is Jesus Christ. 
That he is the true deliverer and savior. That he is the solution to Canada and America and China and North Korea. He is the savior of the world. The one who actually has the power to calm the wind and to get us to the other side. As Oregon so powerfully stated in regards to this passage, the savior thus compelled the disciples to enter into the boat of testing and to go before him to the other side, so to learn victoriously to pass through difficulties. But when they got in the middle of the sea, and of the waves and the temptation, and of the contrary winds which prevented them from going away to the other side, they were not able, struggling as they were, to overcome the waves and the contrary wind and reach the other side without Jesus. In this way, the word that is Christ taking compassion upon those who had done all that was in their power to reach the other side, came to them walking upon the sea, which for him had no waves or wind. Brothers and sisters, in that boat of testing, look to the one who can walk over the storms of your life and get in that boat with you and bring the winds to a still. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we have no doubt that right now you are putting your church universal through a test with all that's going on in our world, specifically with this pandemic. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who has promised that he will never abandon us. The one who speaks to us words of, don't be afraid, take courage, it is I. And the one who willingly gets into the boat with us and calms the wind. So, Father, deepen our faith and our trust in Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.